You are listening to the What A Word podcast, an interview style podcast where guests bring their unique experiences and insight on culture, life's challenges, and faith. Each episode is seasoned with words which will inspire and encourage. Now here is your host, Ryan Sharp. Welcome to the Water Word Podcast. I'm honored that you would join me again. It's a, a bright Sunday where I am. I'm hoping uh, your day is going well. Uh, whatever day you have a chance to either watch the YouTube channel or listen on your favorite audio podcast. I'm honored to be able each week to speak to individuals who share about culture, uh, life challenges, and faith. And I'm honored today to have a good friend of mine, Ken Sutton, on the podcast. He's a writer. Uh, director and a producer. And he joins me today to share about his journey. I met him a number of years ago at Kingsborough Temple uh, in Brooklyn, a wonderful church filled with creatives. And uh, Kent was a part of the drama ministries at that time. For those who were artists or had aspirations of of artistry, uh, this ministry helped to attract uh, those individuals. And um, through that ministry, the gospel, was told via acting and um, the ministry was uh, very tremendous. And I'm honored today that Kent uh, joins me to share. Please join me in welcoming my friend, Kent Sutton to the Water Word Podcast. Thank you for having me on. Indeed, Indeed, welcome, welcome, welcome. Uh, Kent, um, tell us about your um, early immigrant experience. I know your bio speaks about um, possibly moving to a number of places. Tell us about your immigrant experience. Okay, so I was uh, born in the island of Dominica. And from there, I lived there for two months and we moved to Trinidad. After Trinidad, we moved over to um, Beckway. Lived there for a couple of years as well. And then, uh, from Beckway, we moved to Barbados. After Barbados, we moved to St. Croix, then migrated to the United States. Um, our first stop was Pensacola, Florida, uh, also around two years. And then we moved up north to Bering Springs, Michigan, spent a few years there, and over in um, New York, where we've been for you know quite some time. Um, I'd say initially, it was a culture shock moving to America, um, leaving what was comfortable and um, just experiencing a whole new world. Um, I would say academically, my grades kind of dipped a bit. And, you know, I went into a shell, if you will, and I started writing. Um, my father points out that I, you know, my younger days, I used to like to create stories and share with him and my friends, my siblings. Um, but once, you know, I was around 10 when we moved to Florida, I started putting, um, I guess, pencil to paper. And, um, you know, I write these short stories and share them with my family. Uh, they're always amazed at, you know, the creativity and how I came up with this. Um, so after Florida, we moved uh, up to Michigan, as I stated. And there, I think academically, I also um, saw challenges. I remember one day, the teacher, uh, she assigned a creative writing homework. So I thought to myself, this is my perfect time to show everyone that I'm a, a, actually a good student, just going through something, you know? So I, um, I rushed home and uh, started to write this story. I remember it was based off of myself and my friends, the characters, and we, you know, it's like a detective mystery type thing. Um, once I was finished the, the writing, I passed it off to my father, asked him to type it out, took his time, and he um, typed it out for me. So next day in school, came back, handed in the assignment, but actually first, before I handed it, I let my friends read it. They're all amazed by it. And word got out of this story that I wrote. So all the kids were talking about it. 
um, so I handed it in and the um, teacher collected all the work. She went home the following day or maybe a couple of days after she came back with the, the uh, writing assignments and she um, started to read the different assignments. One by one, she was reading and eventually the class started saying, read Kent, read Kent. So she went through, you know, Tommy's and Billy's and Jill's and Susan's and Sally's and here, read Kent, read Kent. She kept on going through all the other students. And I, I'm thinking, well, maybe she's leaving mine for last, you know? And then um, that was it, she stopped. And I'm wondering, okay, why is she not reading mine? And the class is asking her to read mine. She doesn't say anything. So I decided in protest, I'm gonna stop handing in my homework. You know, I'll, I'll go home and I'll have to do my homework because my parents expected me to. Um, that was the expectation of the house, you know, we do all our classroom assignments. But I figured what's, what's the sense in handing it in if, you know, this is gonna be the outcome. So um, I guess a few weeks later, it was uh, parent teachers conferences and my parents went in they're shocked to find out that Kent doesn't do his homework. So they're like, what do you mean he doesn't do his homework? We see him, we see his homework. So the teacher, um, we had lockers in the back of the classroom. The teacher then said, well, um, his lockers all of a sudden is untidy. So, you know, she went to show them the locker and on the bottom of the locker was like weeks of homework just stacked up. So that was a conversation to be had once, you know, my parents got home. Um, from there, we, you know, moved to New York and things started changing academically for me. Um, but I pretty much put my, my uh, efforts into sports and music. Um, I think that writing assignment kind of put me in a bad place creatively as far as writing goes. So I kind of left it, aside, um, left it alone for a number of years. It wasn't until um, probably 2002 um, that I started back. Um, I took a few acting classes. Um, how that started actually was while in college, a friend of mine, Patrice John Rules, he was doing just you know, a, a movie project that he thought of and put together. He asked if I wanted to act in it, so I did. And um, everyone was like, wow, you did a great job. You know, and they compared me to Morgan Freeman. So I was flattered. Um, uh, they showed a mutual friend of ours who was a filmmaker um the the recording of the movie and he too was impressed so he asked me to come out and audition for one of his projects but before I auditioned he showed me the other audition tapes and um I was a little intimidated I was like okay I'm not ready for this so I decided once I reached New York to um take acting classes so I studied first at Weiss Barron um did that for several years and then went over to um the living theater did that for a little while um studied with david triaka um it's a very good influence on me i think a lot of my approach to the whole filmmaking uh theater world is uh based off of his teaching um yeah, so we studied great plays, uh, people like August Wilson, Shakespeare. Um, yeah, um, I, my mind goes blank, but those two were um, amongst my favorite. And um, yeah, started with uh, fundamentals of acting, basic acting, introduction level stuff, and then went all the way up to master classes. And um, began teaching myself acting and directing and writing, of course. Okay, so um, there's a lot to unpack, man. Um, and I, I wanna start off with what's understated. I've had so many conversations with uh, young adults who are immigrants 
and it's not lost on me, us, because I'll include myself as well, being caught off guard by the slights, the racism, and those things that could tear at one's spirit. How did you navigate through that? Because what you described, you were a pretty young person when you experienced those hurtful experiences. I was around 10 years old when I moved to Florida and I had, you know, coming from the Caribbean, it's, it's a different world, as I said, and I didn't have a real understanding of what racism was like. Um, I think anyone who grows up in the West Indies would share the same mindset. Um, matter of fact, I, I travel back and forth frequently and I know for a fact that it's not really understood. You could see it on TV, but you know, you, um, one would make allowances and you have to experience it firsthand. Just being black in America, um, unfortunately exposes us to tons of um, harsh and um, traumatic experiences, not only with police officers, but with, with private citizens as well. I somehow wish there was a way for us to prepare the next generation for um, these experiences which will invariably come um, because so much has remained the same in the country, unfortunately. Um, and, and it's telling and um, kind of ironic that a young man who just detailed his experience with having his story withheld by a teacher um, is now telling stories um, via film, the uh, independent filmmaking, you're a writer, you're a producer, um, who detailed that a friend um, introduced you to acting. And then it went up another notch uh, due to the help and the tutelage of one David um, Triaka. Is, tell yes, us a little bit about David and his methods and what you learned in that experience. Oh, wow, sure. Um... He, like I said, he was a great teacher. Um, he, what can I say about him? He's very, he loves the art. Um, I believe, if I remember one of his stories correctly, I, I may be wrong, but um, I believe he started young trying to get in tight with some girls. And he took an acting class because it was all women. But I, don't quote me on that. But I, I believe that's where he got started. But he, you know, like many who take it up, fell in love with the craft. Um, and a real, he's a tremendous talent. Um, we've been in and out of contact over the years. Um, I've studied with him. I don't even know how many years, maybe maybe six years in total. Um, he's been on various TV shows and done a lot of stage work. And he's, um, yeah, a great teacher. Um, well, what did he bring um, out in you, Kent? I would say he, he recognized that there was definitely something there um he pulled me to the side a few times and um you know we had deep conversations about the craft the art um you know all that we need to put into it um he was able to when when, when you're studying any any art or anything in particular you, you may um reach plateaus where you feel you're not growing. And I was becoming very discouraged through those points because it could last several weeks. And he was able to, you know, talk me through it, kind of redirect me into the way I was thinking so I could push through those plateaus and, you know, begin climbing again. Um, also the, the small things, you know, the small habits, the small, um here's an embarrassing story i was late to one of his rehearsals and he really tore into me um 
I was never late again. And I think because of that, because I was in, in front of everyone, um, you know, how I run my sets, how I run rehearsals is, you know, I, I don't allow anyone to be late. It becomes bothersome, you know? And I understand the perspective is everyone's time, but um, those little habits, it's, it's good to be on time or to be early. It's good to, um, you know, really get the, the small details, it's what makes the big difference. So you, you establish the, the small habits and, you know, even though it's a rehearsal for a, a play off of Broadway, it's, it's about um, building your name. Because if everyone knows, oh, uh, you know, you're, you're late all the time. And it wasn't that the, the fact that I wasn't late all the time. I was just late for a rehearsal. But you have to value everyone's time. You have to value the art and the opportunity. A lot of people don't value the opportunities that are given. And as a result, you know, their work suffers or their name suffers. Talk to us about the foundations of um, basic acting that he taught and which you also taught, you know, soon after as an acting coach. Um, you're working with individuals who are sometimes playing roles that they don't relate to. What is it about acting that um, brings about this authenticity? Um, acting is best... Uh, defined, I should say, as being truthful under imaginary circumstances. And once an actor can understand that, right, it's all about truth. I remember people saying to me jokingly, oh, you know, I pulled a prank or I tricked you, I'm a good liar. That makes me a good actor. That's quite the opposite. You know, um, it's about being truthful and it's about digging into the, your imagination. So we ran certain exercises built off of um, personal experiences, right? Uh, you have the wall exercise um, where you use the imagination to visualize someone and you speak to that person, right? But you're, you're going off of your real and honest emotion. And then at the last moment, right when the emotions building up, you switch to your to your uh, monologue or your scene, and you're running off of the emotion that was built up in your imagination from a real experience. Um, another exercise would be like a sense memory exercise where you um, put yourself in a situation in your past. It could be happy, it could be tense, negative, whatever. And you kind of circle around that moment. So you may go moments before and you pay attention to the sounds. Was there an airplane flying over? Was there cars driving by? You picture, you, you imagine the smell, the, the temperature. Then you go after the moment and you do the same thing until it becomes real, you know, your focus and you um, you could kind of zero in on that exact moment. All your senses are alert and you use that to evoke the feelings you had at that moment. And you could apply that also to whatever scene you're doing. Um, truth be told, those approach, both, both of those um, approaches can be dangerous emotionally because you could tap into some trauma. Um, I've seen uh, an actor that I was coaching go through something and, you know, I had to take a moment. Um, and, you know, funny enough, uh, when I was studying with David, he also talked about someone, you know, going through a moment and had to be talked out of it. So it, it's very, it's a very um, intense approach. Um, it's not always necessary. It does work, but if you could relate to the character that you're playing, you may not need to go through all of that. Have Sorry? you gone back to that teacher to evoke 
um, the emotions of anger ever <laughs> as an actor? Um, I've used other situations. Um, I've, I, 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 at a play at Kingsborough, I used a situation that was emotional, it dealt with death. And I, um, the more you do these exercises, the faster you're able to navigate through them. And I did it pretty quickly on stage and um, tears came to my eyes. Um, the thing about these exercises, when you talk about it out loud, they become less effective, right? So it's something that you, you want to guard, but um, yeah, it's uh, the teacher situation. It wasn't, I buried that. Um, I didn't discuss it with my family until years after. Um, even when questioned, why aren't you doing your homework? <laughs> um, or handing in your homework, rather. Um, I, I left it, you know, deep down and I focused on sports and music. Um, did well with track and field and with football. And um, yeah, I, I forgot actually that I enjoyed writing stories up until taking these acting classes. Then at that point, like my brain exploded. I, it, I, it all came flooding back to me. The stories I wrote, the passion that I felt towards writing and that encounter with the teacher all came back and I was like, whoa. You know, it's amazing how we can um, suppress certain thoughts to protect, you know, whatever we're going through to protect ourselves from that. And, you know, I know people have far more severe things that they suppress than what I did, but just being awakened to that, to that memory was, um, it was impactful. Powerful, man, powerful. You have a company now called Working Theory Productions, a play on your middle name, um, where you're now, um, you've had a few independent films out. Um, one that we had discussed prior that talks about domestic violence. So you also have the ability to tap into the experience of others in terms of evoking emotions, which seems clear. Mm -hmm. um, have you found in this space, I mentioned to our viewers and our listeners that you are a writer, a producer, actor, director. Have you found in this space the same challenges telling the stories you want to tell by say these producers and investors who are responsible for getting, you know, either the financing to you or to having your work completed? Do you find that same challenge now as a creative, having your story told? Um, yes. Um, not in the aspect of creating. That's the only challenge with creating comes from within, like, you know, um, writer's block. You, you hear people with hit writer's block and they can't write. I've discovered that if I hit a spot that I'm stuck, when I'm facing writer's block, it's not that I'm blocked, it's just that what I wrote was wrong, right? So I go back, see what I need to change, and it all starts flowing again. So it's a block to kind of protect the work where it's like you need to revisit that because if you go any further, it's not going to be any good. So I go back, delete what I have to do, and then change it, and then it flows again. So I don't get discouraged with writer's block. I just dig in to see what is off. Um, Externally, because I don't have a recognizable name, I've ran into a few instances where that became an issue. Um, I've had producers say, oh, this is a beautiful piece, but who is Kent Sutton? Or, and you know, for that fact, they don't want to, um, you know, help push the work forward. Um, I've had, more recently, um, a, a 
production company, not production company, but a network rather. Um, they, I was told that the CEO of this network handpicked Miranda and she was very impressed with the presentation, the pitch deck. She hadn't read the script, but um, the people who I met with, um, there were three in the, it was a Zoom call. They also liked the presentation. They said it's one of their stronger ones. And, you know, they had high hopes for the project. Um, <laughs> they said, however, the CEO wanted to change the ending. So I was like, okay, um, well, what's the ending that, you know, they'll want to change it to? So, you know, I was open-minded, I listened. And they wanted to um, take out the very thing. Well, what they would have done was to remove the very thing that um, really brought the film together. It's that kind of like the, you know, you keep setting them up with a jab and then you finish them off with a hook. They want to take the hook out. So to me, the story would have then been flat. So I told them, well, I hear what you're saying. That can't be the ending though. And they looked at me like, well, who are you to say that, that can't be your ending? <laughs> so I told them my ending and I was, as I was describing it, all three parties sat forward, got closer to the camera and I, I was like, oh yeah, I have. So at the end of the meeting, I felt good. I felt, you know, we understood, we're all on the same page, my ending is better. Um, several weeks later, they came back, we had another meeting and they told me they wanted to attach a couple other writers to work on the script. So I had a decision to make whether or not um, I wanted to continue with this, this, um, this network. And I uh, spoke to my team they all agreed so i turned them down um it was a hard thing to do because you know you don't know what's coming up next but had i made those changes i know for a fact it wouldn't have advanced my career and yes i would have gotten some money yes that film would have been shown but it would have been an extremely watered down version of what i have and i don't think it would have advanced me any because it would have taken away from the impact therefore okay who's the writer Kent Sutton and these other people mm, what does he have to say you know um so I took the hit but um since then you know made it's been maybe eight nine months we have new contacts they are liking what they're reading so far and they are, you know, we, we have some things coming up, some things for me to look forward to um, within the next couple months, actually. But um, they all agreed, yeah, you made the right choice not going with them. So, yeah, I'm pretty good. I'm all right. Um, there's and you're on a sense. You've indicated that getting the, the green light would have meant some income. Um, everything you've worked towards at that point in terms of the financing would have been good. What was it about Miranda though that um, that wouldn't allow you to have them take it over? What was it about that storyline that was so important to you that you needed to refuse them co-opting it and take, make, taking it in a different direction? Um, well, first I'll say all the actors that read Miranda they all um, reacted to this very same spot with the same exact reaction, right? They think they had the whole thing figured out. And right when they say, oh, I know what's gonna happen, it hits them and they're like, whoa. You know, like I've had countless, I think everyone who's read it actually has made that exact same statement. Um, I think the story is authentic, it's raw, it's emotional. And to make the change to water it down, it would just be um, flat. It would, it would lack that, that instant that would make everyone want to talk about it. 
would be missing. They didn't want to take out the domestic violence thing, but they, the way it was told would have been changed. And the way it was told is it's what m makes it gripping. You have, you have quite a few pieces on domestic violence already. So um, what separates Miranda from those? You know, it's, it's the way it's told. And um, I can't give it away because you know, that would be a huge spoiler. But um, yeah, the way you tell a story also has impact. Um, so Miranda, it's, it's a piece that exists in, it's a contemporary film, uh, New York City, kind of moves through the artistic world of uh, jazz and spoken word. So there's a lot of um, live, live music performances and uh, spoken word poetry, um, performance poetry, if you will. Uh, I wrote, most of the poems, which is, um, it was a challenge tapping into the mind of the character to speak their voice in poetry. You know, I'm not a, I'm not a poet by any means, but um, I tested one of the poems um, in front of a live audience at a poetry show and they, they loved it. Um, I recently also recruited Marcus Williams, who's a friend. He's a spoken word artist. And he has uh, two pieces in there. Um, one which speaks on today's society, um, just the ills of, of American culture. Um, that piece is called Rocky Song. Um, and then there's another piece called Ode to Black Eve, um, which I'll also use. And um, that's just paying tribute to our women. Um, I won't really get into it, but um, very two impactful, very powerful pieces. Uh, and what do you want audiences to know about uh, domestic violence? It's safe to say that it's a layered issue. It's not only physical, it's emotional, it's financial. Um, and it's um, it's hushed in our communities. Like it's not something that we are always aware of. Um, you're telling a story of domestic violence being one of the themes um, in, in Miranda. Um, how much did you learn about it in doing the research? Is 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 it um is this is this is this thing more prevalent than we can imagine? Oh yeah, definitely. Um, you know, growing up, you may hear, or at least I heard whispers of you know certain situations. I never really encountered it personally, saw it firsthand, or you know, but um once I guess the lens was removed or the blinders was removed and I approached adulthood and started to see, see it more in society. Um, is in college when I encountered someone who was experiencing that. And then it was like just back to back situations after that. Um, even walking down the street, you know, I, I saw a situation where, you know, help was needed. Um, so it's like, once you become aware, then you, you know, it's like when you have a car, you buy a car and all of a sudden you see that car all over the place. So it's like, it became real, even though I hadn't experienced it, nor my family. Um, so I felt I had to write about it. Um, I've learned how it impacts members of family, um, how they're, it becomes easier for them to repeat those behaviors. Um, so my hopes in writing Miranda is that it sparks conversation, right? Um, and in creating conversation, it can be 
faced head on to whether you're someone in that situation where you're being abused, you can look at it with, um, you know, a little bit more objection, um, separate yourself from it and hopefully remove yourself from that situation. Or if you or the abuser um, yourself, you can take a step back, same thing, look at it and, and try to face the way you're approaching things. Um, we first did Miranda as a short film. We did it as a 12 minute film. And one of, I think we played in three festivals. We won an audience choice award um, at the Red Wasp Film Festival in Bryant, Texas. Now, this was a community, you know, I was the only one who went out. Um, and it was a very small town. Um, I remember when I got there, they were saying how hotels are sold out and cars are hard to rent. And I said to the um, the car rental guy, I was like, oh, is it because of the festival? He looked at me, he was like, festival, what festival? I said, the film festival. He's like, no, because of the football game. <laughs> I was like, oh, okay. So, um, you know, I, I drove out to Bryant, very small town. There was a football stadium. and um, the town was primarily um, European American, and you know, um, attending the festival was the same thing. Um, for the most part, I was the only person of color. Then someone else came later on, and I was like, "Oh." But when they were announcing, they took a break the last night. Then they, um, I was out buying T-shirts, and they started to announce the uh, winners. I didn't go back in. I didn't expect to win anything. So um, I had a couple of t-shirts over my shoulder and I was reaching for my wallet when I heard my name being called over the intercom. And I was like, oh, that's me. And the lady was like, forget, forget, just go, go, go. So I, I went back into the um, auditorium and um, yeah, they called me up. I won the audience choice award. And um, with t-shirts flung over my shoulder, I gave my, um, my thank you speech. And, um, you know, during the Q&A, I remember this lady, tears in her eyes, she said, thank you for making this film. She went on to say, had she seen it 20 years ago, she wouldn't have had to deal with the restraining orders or the, the courts and, you know, all the stress and, Hearing her say that with the emotion that she shared, um, it led me to uh, understand that I am doing the right thing in this field and it does have impact on people. You know, this 12 minute film can impact a woman where she is speaking in a public forum in tears, not caring that she's crying, saying how much the film impacted her and she wished she saw it 20 years prior. Um, yeah, that's the power of the craft. It's not entertainment to me, it's, it's, it's art. It's um, sharing deep stories that I hope would um, affect people, change lives, you know. Congratulations, man, on the award and on the impact. It's, it's a call to action too, Ken, because as you rightfully describe, all of us, especially men, we've seen situations where, you know, it's going down. It may be an encounter on the street between a couple. And it's we we can usually tell that it's it's tense and somebody is if they're not gonna get hurt there, they're gonna get hurt in private, you know, when they go home. And you know, it's a call to action, man. And I've seen so many articles recently about what we can do as citizens when we observe this. Um, sometimes it's the cat calling that women have to endure. And some women have said, if you just pretend to uh, be a friend, you'll help them to avoid some of the harsh words and the physical encounters. But it's a real call to action and being our brothers and our sisters keeper. And I didn't know we were gonna go down this road obviously when we started, but I think Miranda 
is such an important film because it addresses uh, such an important issue. So I, I have maybe two more questions for you, Kent. Um, you were involved in drama ministries when I met you. Talk to us about the importance of a church having a drama ministries group and, and, and telling some of those stories through ministry, um, be the gospel, domestic violence, et cetera. Why is a drama ministry important for every church to, to, to have as a, a part of their church's ministry? Okay, great question. Um, so I think there's a misconception well, there's several misconceptions about um, acting in the church. Um, I think like everything else, one needs to prepare for that. And that, that goes into studying of the, the craft, studying the art of acting. Um, I think it's often taken for granted that, you know, it's a special skill one has to kind of learn and develop. Um, so a lot of people would just get up and act and, um, it takes more than that to be truly effective. Um, just like a musician would take years of practice diligently and, you know, study, I believe it's the same. Um, I think the plus the positive end of um, having a effective drama ministry is not everyone responds to a sermon, right? Um, so sometimes having a play that would illustrate the story from the Bible or illustrate what the preacher's um, sermon is about or a social issue can be very impactful. Um, I can remember we did um, just a short, I'm not quite sure how long it was, just a short introduction to um, a week of prayer. I don't know if you were there for that. Um, they were doing a week of prayer and they wanted the drama ministry to promote it. So we developed a character named Kyle, which was played by myself. And um, I didn't tell the pastor that uh, the character's name was Kyle. So it was both pastors and myself plus Andre Johnson and um, his son, Dore Johnson. So, um, you know, they got up to promote this week of prayer and I kind of burst through the side doors, came around up the center aisle, got up on the, um, the pulpit and clearly I was upset and, you know, kind of huffing. And, and um, the pastor said, you know, Kent, are you okay? And I lost it. I was like, my name is not Kent. You know, my name is Kyle. Kent is that fool that sits in the balcony. The audience chuckled a little bit. And um, basically Kyle had an issue now, the majority of the rehearsal was about Kyle finding what that issue was that Kyle suffered. He lost his job, he lost a family member. Whatever we came up with wouldn't fit. And we were then led to say that we're never going to reveal what Kyle's issue was. And in doing that, I think the audience, the congregation were and able to connect to the plight of Kyle a, a lot more, even though we never said what it was, because what they did then was to substitute what they were going through on a personal level into what Kyle was going through. So Kyle, Kyle actually yoked up the pastor, told the congregation not to listen to him because the pastor told Kyle that prayer would fix his problem. And he prayed and the problem wasn't solved. In fact, it got worse. And um, we had people scattered through the congregation who just then got up and started to pray, right? They prayed for Kyle, for what he was going through. Um, Kyle's still holding on to the pastor. 
um, you know, he had to be talked on, people are praying, then the praise team starts to sing break every chain, right? And I was told by many that they cried. I was told that men in the balcony started crying um, because we all go through this, this struggle of um, questioning, questioning faith, questioning um, our purpose or whatever we're going through you know, the, the walk of salvation is in the perfect walk and we sleep, we fall. And um, that short play or skit was able to have people reflect. Um, I remember someone even said, that's exactly what I was going through this week. Um, so had it just been a regular Sabbath service, you come in, you sing the hymns, you pray, you um, have your sermon and you go home, while the word is always impactful, they may have missed that moment of reflecting into the fact that my faith isn't where it needs to be, right? So how do you challenge, how do you challenge yourself when everything is routine? You kind of have to kind of um, adjust the scope a little bit. And that, that I think is the positive of drama ministry. Powerful man. Um, I get. I think we can close with talking about the Kyles. I mean, the church is dealing with so much in terms of mental health, um, deferred dreams, um, a host of issues, man. Where for many, prayer doesn't seem to work. God seems really silent, and um, I think the theme of your life, the theme of your story is pushing through. Um, it's, it's a powerful theme. What I think uh, speaks to the experience of many people. But I think you're in a unique position, Kent, to speak to the Kyles and the Kyleishas who may be listening. <laughs> um, in closing, Kent, um, and I really wish we could get you up to where I live to start or help us to expand our drama ministries but that being said uh say something to the kyles who are wrestling in that season where you know god seems silent man and um prayer they haven't seen any real evidence of the answer and they are losing hope i didn't mean to put you in this spot but we kind of went there so here you go man that's <laughs> understood um well, I guess we all are Kyle in our own way, um, regardless of how much or how well put together we present. I mean, if you look at Jesus' walk and those around him, um, I think everyone has encountered some kind of test, some kind of hurdle. Um, you know, a lot of people disagree with me when I talk about Jesus praying in the garden, right? Um, he was up against some heavy pressure, um, whether it's facing the cross or, or being um, separated from, from God the Father, whatever it was, he asked, if it's your will, take this cup from me, right? Um, you have Peter who walked with Christ, saw the miracles, saw everything firsthand, and he denied Christ. You have the children of Israel who was led out of, the, um, out of captivity, led by a cloud and a pillar of fire and still turned from God. So it's like, um, there's nothing to be ashamed of when facing these these hurdles or these burdens it's just a matter of you know like the writer's block that i mentioned earlier you recognize something is off and then you go back and you you, you change it um up until this morning you know i was struggling with prayer and praying through some stuff but i know that um God will not leave me hanging. Um, I'm not going to be 
regardless of how things play out, something will happen that I can benefit from. And um, it's all right if people feel discouraged in the moment, um, just find, find out where things are off and go back. It's easier said than done, I know, but um, you know, I keep going back to that writer's block moment through prayer and, and work, you know, um, James uh, chapter two, I believe talks about faith without works. And um, yeah, there's a lot of truth to that. Um, I also feel that if people really find themselves in the, in the Bible, find, find their, um, I think a lot of people that I encounter separate themselves from the word of God because they don't see themselves there. Um, they may put a face to, to the belief and their face may not be one that matches them, but if they read closer, look closer, really examine it for themselves, not what they hear, they'll see that they are part of that, you know? And um, yeah, I think all of that ties together in um, kind of unwrapping, you know, the whole faith thing. Powerful, man, powerful. I think it also speaks to what you experienced. Uh, Kent highlighted that at a screening for Miranda, uh, a lady in the audience during the question and answer segment indicated that had she seen this story a number of years back, it would have helped her to avoid the court system, restraining orders, the abuse, et cetera. I think Kent has challenged us to tell stories that are uncomfortable and unpopular because telling those stories, making ourselves available, being accessible, putting ourselves sometimes in harm's way for the sake of others uh, helps us to help others in ways that we can't even imagine. It may start with doing something small, but the long-term effects can have tremendous positive life-changing impact uh, for someone else. Kent, if you don't mind, I would like to share uh, your website link so they can see what you're currently working on. We didn't get to touch on a city called heaven, obviously, um, but there's a lot you're doing in terms of production. Uh, Kent Sutton is a writer, director, and producer. Kent, we thank you so much for being a guest on the Water Word podcast. Thanks for having me. Most welcome, man. Most welcome.